Okay, I think we're good to go now. I think we Hello are everybody. live. Yes, yes, we are back <laughs> up and live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Her Many Voices Lunch and Learn uh, with our host, Myrna James. Today, we have the pleasure. I am so grateful. We've got Cher Cheryl Mary Powell that joining us today, um, a dear, beautiful spirit. And um, I'm grateful that I get to call her friend and yes. sister and, you know, cohort and all sorts of wonderful things. Um, so Her Many Voices has been doing this work in the nonprofit sector for the last 12 years now. In March, we had a 12 year anniversary. And in the last few, we've gotten involved in the, in the hemp industry. And I've had the privilege of meeting a number of people who have been extremely helpful in this process that we're going through. You know, we're bringing hemp back into community and it was uh, on hiatus for quite some time and since 1937 in this country. So I, all, I feel like we're all in this infancy stage of coming back into it and, and really learning what we get to do with this beautiful plant and all of its wonderful medicine. Um, so a few years ago, maybe about three years ago, I, I met Cheryl at uh, one of the events and we've been communicating back and forth ever since. And I kept saying, there's gotta be a way, I know we can work together. Yeah, And it's unfolding little by little. So welcome, Cheryl. I'm so happy that you join us today. Thank it's you so much. Thank you for having me. Her Many Voices Foundation is near and dear to my heart. Um, Myrna, thank you. It's so great to work with you, and especially in the preparatory uh, process of getting ready for this webinar. And Alicia, my dear friend, um, my sister, um, it's always good to see you. It's always good to to work with you, it's always good to um, just collaborate. Um, so I'm very, 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 very interested in her many voices and the role model that you've been for the industry. Um, you know, I think when, there are a lot of good intention uh, hemp industry, cannabis industry, nonprofits. I've been a part of a, a number of them. Um, you know, that's I always say that I uh, lawyer in order to fund my activism. So my work with the nonprofits and the industries, anywhere from you know minorities for medical marijuana, but for vets, you know that work is typically just pro bono work. Um, and in order to get things started, a lot of organizations they have to start with good intentions and really good people. But as far as understanding um, the requirements of being a nonprofit and understanding how to really be impactful with your good intentions, you know, sometimes we, we, we miss the mark or sometimes it takes us a while to get there. So when I uh, met Alicia, we were introduced by a mutual friend, Eric McKee. Um, when I met her in, I, we probably were in Tennessee or, um, or Denver. Um, one of the NOCO-related conferences, I, I really was interested, very distracted by all of the wonderful things going around. So I didn't feel like we had sufficient time to talk and, and really for me to really understand what Her Many Voices was all about. So I really want to elevate and highlight this organization as a structural model for how we can really be impactful in our industry. I know, Alicia, you've been kind enough to um, offer consulting for other nonprofits to kind of show them the way to do it the right way. Um, the last thing we need uh, in our industry would be to have a bad headline about, um, you know, uh, fiscal impropriety, you know, impropriety. 
um, or some, something to that malfeasance, uh, misfeasance with regards to um, funds that are intended to help people. So, you know, just seeing how you, um, you know, respect and treat your organization, um, understanding your experience over 12 years, I, I definitely wanted to come on to the webinar and, and first, um, thank you for your work. Um, congratulate you on your work um, on behalf of all the people that you have helped. Um, just say a, a very genuine thank you. Um, and, and when I talk about the work of Her Many Voices and the people that have been helped, I'm not just speaking about the United States of America. I'm talking about you know, like being able to have a nonprofit based in the United States focus on sustainability that has an international footprint. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, thank you so much for the work that you do. Anyone who is interested in starting a nonprofit or currently has a, a nonprofit and you may be having, you know, people issues, you may be having funding related issues, you may be having, you know, directional issues, ask for help. Mm -hmm. Ask for help. That's the most important first step is when you're getting to that place where you're you're stagnant, before you get into trouble, ask for help. And I, I definitely endorse um, Alicia Fall as um, someone that I would recommend you go to as far as getting some guidance. She does not give legal advice, but what she can show you is the blueprint for um, what she has been able to do successfully in, uh, you know, working with countries such as Haiti and um, Nepal and, um, and, and Europe and, and really understanding things. And another thing I admire about Alicia, and then I'll go into some of my work after that, is the fact that she tried to understand the hemp industry from the ground up. So a lot of us really, we start off with the 25 to 50,000 uses of hemp. Um, we came, we're coming out of prohibition and, you know, our knowledge doesn't have that solid foundation that it really needs to build, as I say all the time, build a sustainable hemp industry. Um, you know, you'll see, notice with her many voices, the, um, the, the logo, and you see it next to me on this podcast, it, it's, it's a tree, it has roots. And that's what it's all about, build, building those foundational roots. So what Alicia has done is, like, she went to Europe and studied with the masters of hemp who've been doing it for decades in Europe. She didn't just say, hey, I'm a hemper, you know, I hemp, hemp for everything, hemp can make everything in this room. She didn't stop there with how she built the foundation of her knowledge. And, and that's something I, you know, in, in hindsight, I think even myself as a cannabis attorney, cannabis agricultural and dietary supplement attorney, I feel like I've been neglectful in not doing that research and really putting myself, positioning myself in Europe, understanding the European market, understanding the Chinese market with regards to the textile production to really focus on how we can build sustainably here. So, you know, I've, I've definitely spent a lot of time researching and I've learned a lot on the job, but what I would like to do as a next step is really follow in uh, Alicia's footsteps and the work she's done as her many voices in really understanding that global hemp industry and what parts will work in the United States and what parts will not work in the United States because of economical reasons. Um, so with that said, I just wanted to start off right by um, giving honor to uh, this virtual stage that I've been welcomed on and really highlight, yes, I'm an expert um, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. But I learn as well. 
and and I am not I'm humble enough to admit when there is someone in the room that I could definitely learn more from, and that's how I see um, Alicia Fall, my my good friend, and and I I consider her to be a mentor as well. Thank you very much, Cheryl. I and I know that you and Myrna are going to go down a bunch of rabbit holes now, yeah. uh, and we can talk about some of the work that that we've we've done and are in the process of. And I can say that I'm really fortunate. Uh, I, I'm somebody who I do well, I do best. If I'm on the ground, really, you know, soaking it in, I got to get my hands dirty in order to really understand and digest and be able to work with, uh, work with this plant or basically anything that we do. I really want to be on the ground doing the work to have a better understanding of, of what is best for myself and others, you know. Um, and, there are, and there are plenty of people within this industry that are right there to help. I mean, this is definitely a collaborative uh, work, you know. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah. okay, so. Thank you, I just want to say that is refreshing just because, um, you know, we're living in a microwave society a YouTube um, tribe of, and even down to my son, who's nine years old, like he doesn't even ask me questions anymore. He goes to Google and YouTube. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we, we are pretentious and feel that, um, you know, if we watch something on YouTube, then we can do it, which a lot of times we are learning stuff on YouTube, but there's certain things that you just need to go and, you know, sit at the feet of the experts and, and, and people have been doing it for multiple generations. And I think, Hemp is one of those things where, uh, and, and I think that's part of the cause as to why we're seeing such a, you know, a saturation in the CBD market and, and minor, you know, some minor cannabinoids now is because it seems too hard to get the knowledge on the other uses of the plant. We talk about the other uses of the plant when we are uh, lobbying, um, just like we talk about farmers when we're lobbying and we talk about all the uses of the plant and all the things that can it can do and the marketplace for it, but we haven't done the due diligence of saying, let's look at the people who have actually done it and they've actually done it really well in other parts of the world. Um, and, and that's where, you know, I think Her Many Voices has kind of bridged that gap in, in a lot of respects. And I think there's, you know, with being a founder of US Hemp Building Association, I see that also in that organization where um, the leadership has always had like, if it's affordable, have that interest to connect with Europe. And we've always had a board member who's been European background, who's doing the work in Europe. So, you know, I just want to encourage other people as we're talking about all the uses of hemp, really think globally, not just I can get the information from YouTube or I can order the, um, the binding ingredients or I can order, um, you know, the hemp uh, herd from Europe, it goes beyond that. You need to figure out how to uh, connect with those experts um, and really understand what it takes to get from, you know, raw material to an end product for other uses of the plant other than, you know, cannabinoid um, extracts. Well, I'm gonna take a step back at the moment and uh, you and Ben go down a whole bunch of rabbit holes and- uh, yeah. And then I'll join you a little bit later in this program. Alisa, thank you. So thank you. Alrighty. Thank you. Okay. Myrna. Cheryl, I cannot thank you enough for recognizing Alicia in a way that she so deserves. Yes. 
I really, I admire her so much. I admire her so much. And all the work of everyone at Her Many Voices, you're absolutely right. It's been over 12 years and um, I've known them from the beginning and it's really, really powerful work. And they're the, they're the real deal, right? They are the real deal. And I, you know, when, I'm, when I look at the industry and I look at um, the people who've been advocating for a long time and, and then you know, I, I reach out to some of these friends um, during the pandemic and things. And and um, there's some people who are struggling that there's no reason they should be struggling based on what they've given to the industry and what they've given to us. We have a lot of companies that are making millions and millions and millions and like tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And then you have people who like gave their blood, sweat and tears, their hearts, um, sacrificed time with their family to be the advocates and put themselves out there um, and educate other people and get people started. And, um, and, and, you know, they're, some are hungry. Some are just like, you know, I'm leaving the industry cause I, I can't survive and things like that. So it's really heartbreaking to see, um, I, I think we're going to bounce back and, you know, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic now. I'm glad to see conferences coming up. We have the, you know, the she conference in Raleigh, North Carolina coming up, which is a big one for our hemp industry, shout out to Lizzie and Morris and, and Kate and and um, those peeps. Um, but, you know, I, I really, for me, I tend to look at things um, multidimensional and it's like, I love that our industry is growing, but I do have issue with like the distinction, the divide, the great divide between the fat cats and the, um, the activist community. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know this is one of your um, passions and hot buttons, as it is one of mine, about, you know, social justice, social equality. Right. And and it's reflected in this whole new industry. Right. The whole cannabis industry, it's it's happening there as well as in the in the general world where it's still happening very much. Right. This this divide. And um, so I, what I'd love to do is take a few steps back, Cheryl, and find out a little bit more about you. And how did you come to this work? Obviously, you're very passionate about it. And I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your story. How did you get here? Um, yeah. Right now? Yeah. This, it, thank you for asking that. So, again, you know, I, I'm an, I was a non-traditional law school student. I went later in life. I had a whole career before this as an executive with T-Mobile, both in, you know, in the United States as well as in the UK. Um, and um, so I, I moved to England for a while. I came back. I worked for BlackBerry for a couple of years and, and another wireless carrier um, after that. Um, and then, uh, you know, life things happened, got married, got uh, quickly um, pregnant with my beautiful son, Judah, and then um, separated while I was pregnant. And I went back to law school. So that's like the long and short of how did I become a lawyer. Um, and then when I graduated, I didn't know anything about cannabis law. I didn't, um, I hadn't thought of it. I didn't know it was a thing. And, um, you know, I was working hard. I was doing probate and um, estate planning and some corporate law, et cetera. And then, you know, I had a weekend where I took some time off and in my spirit, God said, hey, look at cannabis law. And it was not something I'd heard about. Um, and I started reading and from there I couldn't stop. So I've, I've told that story many times. Um, and that's basically how I got started in the cannabis industry. Um, there were some, you know, harsh realities that I observed when I when I first got in. One is, you know what, there aren't a lot of people who look like me. You know, I'm, it's very male, um, male dominated. And 
Um, there aren't uh, color people of color represented, um, especially on the dais. So, you know, that was my first mission is to say, you know, how can we get people of color in these organizations that are speaking and also on the dais so it'll be encouraging for other people of color and other women as well. And I did work with, um, you know, minorities for medical marijuana. I always give them credit, Roz McCarthy. Um, they were like my first cannabis job. Um, and um, they're still doing the work and they've expanded. I remember us having a conversation where it's like, uh, Roz was saying, we just can't get over 75 likes on Facebook. I'm just trying and we can't get over 75. And now she is thousands. She's well known. She's in, you know, all these periodicals and, and, and magazines and things like that. So I was their general counsel for um, three years and we did a lot of that diversity work and um, had a lot of learning experiences and, and learned that, you know, you're not going to get what you asked for the first time. You got to go back, get another bite of the apple and things like that. So we kind of grew up together in that type of cannabis act activism and advocacy and, and lobbying and things like that. So yeah. um, you know, that's kind of how I got started in the activism general marijuana. But when it comes to, oh, oh go ahead. I, I, I just want to shift to how I got started in hemp, but I'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I think that this industry it has so much potential and it's still so nascent, right? It's just the beginning still of the potential. And yeah, before we dive into hemp, I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you really about the value. How did you learn about um, and why do you care so much about the value of medical marijuana and the and the aspects there? I know that I'm really diving into natural health um, and how most a lot of what we need for our bodies is can be found in nature and through natural remedies. And so I'd love to hear kind of a little bit more about you from that perspective. Yeah, that's a great question. So so my interest in medical marijuana and the medicinal value has to do with the you know, the distinction that had to be drawn that I don't understand or I think it's um, misguided between medicinal and, and, and uh, what people call recreational or adult use. When it comes to my community, communities of color, um, there's a lot of criminality associated with self-medicating, right? So when you're, when you're approaching it from that set standpoint, is there a difference between medical and, and adult use? There really isn't if you look at it from, not from an academic perspective, but if you look at it from a, or non-academic, non-legislative, like um, trying to restrict, but if you look at it from the, the actual user, the real, the, really the only difference is that this is a person who's comfortable with being on a registry and uh, the laws allow for them to use if they say they will um, consent to being on a registry versus another person who, you know what, I don't know how that registry is going to be used. I'm suspicious of the government or, you know, I like my privacy or my job um, would, uh, won't allow it. Or I've seen people lose their children for this. I'm not going on a registry. So, you know, that fear and the result of disproportionate enforcement means that my community, you know, communities of color view those legal distinctions very differently. So for us, it's like some people self-medicate for um, mental health related issues. It, you know, you can't describe it academically, but you know that 
when you're about to blow your top, if you have light a spliff or you light a joint, um, everything de-escalates and you don't take an action that would risk you again, being incarcerated or, or harm, you know, harming yourself, harming someone, et cetera, and so on. So that's really like when you step into the patient's shoes, that's how I approach it. That's how I've had to approach it. like really stepping in the patient's shoes and not saying the patient wants these laws. Yes, that's, that's clear. We use We stand on the backs of patients to get the laws we want passed so that we can, um, create an economy from marijuana industry. But, you know, seeing the, the trauma in, in my community with regards to um, discrimination, with regards to um, inequity in the workplace, um, uh, traumatic experience in, in, in childhood and things like that, I understand that need to self-medicate. And also with how those things have been treated in the past, I understand the need for privacy. So, you know, why, you know, looking at medical marijuana as a medicinal, um, as a medicinal plant, medicinal plant, I'm a Caribbean person. So being a Caribbean person, we've always looked into phytomedicines. We've always been reliant on natural herbs and roots and things to um, heal. When you, when there's an area that has no hospital, what do you do? You got prayer and you got medicinal herbs. You got plant-based medicine. Um, so I think sometimes from an ethnocentric standpoint, when we're in the legislator's office, when we're writing laws, we don't think about that. We don't think about, you know, the past of individuals and their traumas. We don't um, uh, think about their um, multi-generational education on the benefits of, of plants and, and herbs and things like that. You're really bringing up... Um two different things in addition to the natural benefit, the inequality that's inherent yes. for people of color is, is this is just another example of where it's also, it's just inherent in the system, unfortunately, right? Yes. It, it's here. And then the second thing is this very interesting line, which I personally hadn't thought about before now, which was the line between medicinal use and recreational use. Yes. And how do you really define it Right. And when for some people, it's what they need. And it's that's a really fascinating um, thing. And I'm sure that's very difficult in the legal world to yeah. deal with that line. Right. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you could uh, just for a few minutes address how the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all the attention mm -hmm. being placed on on yeah. that movement and everything in the past year or so has affected you and just your perspective on that would be really beautiful. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, it's really important to understand that it's it doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. It just means that we really are calling out and crying out for support and for you to rec recognize our the fact that we're human beings and that we don't deserve um, certain treatment that, you know, just because we look a certain way doesn't mean that we're a criminal. Um, you know, we see uh, a lot of cultural appropriation where, you know, the, um, you know, a certain look will be called a, a thuggish look on a, you know, a black teenager. And, and then it's mimicked um, and appropriated. And when you see it on, you know, uh, Justin, I don't want to say Justin Bieber, because I, I have a lot of respect for him. I love his music. But, you know, on, a, you know, on another, uh, a mainstream trendsetter of, um, that, that isn't of color, 
um, then it's trendy and it's hot, you know, and, and you don't think they're criminal, a criminal. Um, we have this issue with, and I, my son, again, my genetics, I'm six feet tall, six feet tall, black woman, not, not skinny, just really solid and stocky that runs in my family. It is what it is. My son is also basically like a tank. He's built solid. He's tall for his age. You know, he's taller than most, like some of my friends already, he's tall and he's nine. So when you have the, the issue of the, the big, big black boy, right, who looks older than they are, there's, there's fear. And when I, when I hear the pushback on the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it's hard to not get emotional about the fact that I have to keep pushing for this because all you're going to say when, if something happens to someone I love and care about is, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Oh, it was a mistake, you know, and things like that. And it doesn't, it, 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 that's not recovery. So on the front end, I can't wait on the back end for you to give an apology or say my thoughts and prayers are with you. I have to on the front end, do the work and educate and really show that these are kids, you know, these are kids and they're, you know, they just like, you know, other kids and they, even they experiment and they, they follow what's on television, you know, and, and at the end of the day, they're kids, you know, people, you know, you'll see people, you see George Floyd and he wasn't a child, but he's calling for his mother because that's the comfort, that's the security. So, um, you know, it, Black Lives Matter affects me. I've been you know, watching the movement and supporting the movement for, for a long time, but it's because, you know, I understand what's between those lines and, you know, fear drives both sides of the movement. For us black mothers, we're deathly afraid of how people look at our kids. We're deathly afraid of, of law enforcement. And, and you know, um, we're just afraid because it doesn't fall in line with justice. It doesn't fall in line with what I read, with what I read in the law books as far as the treatment we're seeing on the streets. Um, and um, I have a son who's getting older and in five years he's gonna be driving well, you know, maybe six years he's going to be driving, and that's when my my fear is going to escalate. Yeah, and, and there, we legitimately every time our sons leave the house, we are concerned and we are scared until they return to the house. Yeah, but, yeah. I was just going to say the fear on the other side is based on um, the uh, what is depicted on television as far as who we are, and it's so distinct from who we really are, but. It has a psychological effect on the younger generations where it's self-fulfilling prophecy, especially for people of African descent that have never been to the African continent and seen all the business people in the Ghanas and things like that who aren't from the Caribbean. Uh, I'm of Caribbean ancestry. And yeah, your prime minister can really look like you. Your leader can look exactly like you and, and the entire, you know, parliament and, and things like that. So, um, it, it's it's very challenging. I'm yeah. glad you asked the question, but it's it's a very multi-layered conversation. It is. And I, I just want to also acknowledge. Um, I really had an epiphany last year around Black Lives Matter, which was that I I I, I don't know. To some extent, I think a lot of us are na naive. A lot of us whites, perhaps, mm -hmm. or whatever my worldview is, right? But yeah. that it was that I really the constitution says equality and it's not there. It's yeah. literally not happening. 
Right. So that is, um, it, it was a real epiphany for me last year. Um, and I also am raising a adopted Asian son who has autism. And yes. he's the coolest thing in the world, right? He's amazing. And, and, and yeah. I totally go into mama bear mode all the time. But it's it's something I'm so aware of um, from that perspective as a parent. Um, and then I also just want to mention one more thing. Um, I work with um, artificial intelligence and ethics in AI and the need, mm -hmm. really important need for ethics in AI. And I don't know if you've seen the documentary called Coded Bias. I haven't, no. It's about how African-American uh, people and many people of color are, uh, the, the algorithms are not correctly identifying people of color to your to the detriment of those yeah. people, right? And so um, most of the companies have pulled back on their, um, on their AI that's, that's facial recognition. So yeah. I think there's some corrections that are trying to happen right now in that field. And, and I just wanted to mention that because it's it's another area where it's inherently, it, it's built, it's baked in that there's a, a problem. Um, so, so many areas, so many areas, um, there's just uh, implicit bias. And I, I encourage the industry to do um, bias training throughout. I know a US Hemp Building Association um, we have plans. Uh, we voted on the last board voted on um, bias training for an entire membership so that we can really have um, a clear view of, of the impact of these types of issues. But I also want to challenge you to, um, you know, just like you're asking me, we're having this dialogue um, about Black Lives Matter. This is also a dialogue that needs to happen with your white guests as well, that you should mention Black Lives Matter. You should mention your, your beloved Asian son um you know who's on the um autism spectrum um with your white guests as well i think it's an important dialogue and it's not limited or restricted to the people of colors that 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 experience it that where the dialogue really needs to happen is i can't avoid thinking about black lives matter especially since i became a mother but i think there is um a lot of comfort or where other communities can avoid it and not think of it except to briefly make an assessment and say, it doesn't affect me, you know, sure. or, or why, why treat people different or, you know. So I think yeah. we need to have those dialogues, um, especially outside of the black community. Cheryl, thank you so much for saying that. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. I think you're right. And to me, honestly, I mean, it's differences, right? It's the, the, the yeah. fact that deep down we need to appreciate and embrace and love our differences as humanity. Every human being is different and unique. And, yeah. and so I want, uh, I, you know, I love embracing those things and I realize culturally and we have a long way to go, right? Yeah. Um, so. No, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful that we can, uh, you know, as, as women have this this conversation. Um, there's um, a beautiful, uh, I guess it's a series that was out called Mrs. America, and it talked about the women's movement and and some of the fractions in the mis women's movement, and uh, you know Shirley Chisholm's race for president, and uh, the lack of support she got from some women, and and some some of these conversations that like the conversation like we're we're having, that's probably what would have kind of mended fences um, back then, and we would have maybe had a um, you know black female president a long time ago um, if we had had that that level of um, honest dialogue and, and support. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, moving on to like the hemp side of things, um, you know, it's really good to see more, um, you know, people of color getting into the hemp industry. 
And I'm also seeing a lot of um, organizations that are um, mainstream organizations, not with a high level of um, black membership, stepping up to the plate to engage with um, uh, other communities and try to be more diverse. Um, you know, again, USHBA, we launched our Communities of Color Outreach um, program. And I think they renamed it so they can be more inclusive, which is fine. Um, and also uh, the US Hemp Roundtable um, recently voted to um, identify some board seats for minority um, uh, organizations, um, as well as you know, uh, people, people, minority organizations as well as small business. Um, so that that's the type of leadership I like to see. I like to see when you put your money where your mouth is. Enough lip service where we are diverse. We're you know walking up to the you know black person at the conference and asking them to join you. That's important. Um, but beyond that, you need to look at how you can shake up your leadership structure, and you also need to look at, you know, how you're spending your money. What are your, do you have 100% white lobbyists? Well, then you need to look at that and look at what it says about you as you're sending these people off to um, lobby for legislation on, on this beloved plant that we, we love so much. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you're, and I love this transition. It's perfect timing to transition into the conversation around hemp. I have learned yeah. so much from Alicia about it, yeah. uh, about, about sustainable building and all the incredible things that this plant can do. And that, and I, um, so I'd love to bring Alicia fall back into our conversation. Fantastic. So the three of us can chat a little bit about this. And um, before we don't go, go too far into all the benefits. I, you mentioned Alicia at the very beginning that 1937 year, and I know that's when hemp was made illegal, right? Yes. Could you please share the backstory on that? Because I think it's fascinating. And also there's the legal component for Cheryl, but um, share that with us. And then the two of you, please let's share, share a lot of information about, about the whole amazing story of hemp. Well, you know, this is this is one of those plants that, like many cultures, people were using, right? For thousands of years, this plant had been used. And uh, a great deal within indigenous communities, no matter where you were on the planet. But here in this country, it was used for making the $10 bill. It was made out of hemp. Betsy Ross's flag, that initial flag, was made out of hemp. Um, our presidents, uh, Jefferson and Washington, Ben Franklin even, they were hemp uh, farmers, they were growers. And, you know, this was a plant that was used for many, many, many different facets in this country. And it was politically motivated in making it an illegal, um, it was decided it was an illegal substance, one that rivaled with heroin and cocaine. Um, Harry Engslinger was the uh, the director of the of the um, drug enforcement agency at the time, and it was decided because of rumors that they were spreading. Um, when our white women use marijuana, they forget themselves; they lose themselves. When black men take this, they think that they are as good as white men when our quote-unquote derelict Mexicans uh, smoke this. I mean, he just went down a list. And, you know, people drank the Kool-Aid in this country. And so it was created as a, um, it was made uh, an illegal substance in 1937. 
And um, it took it away from indigenous peoples for after thousands of years of uses here. It took it away from the, the farmers who were growing and uh, making a living. And it also threw out the biodiversity of this planet. When we remove our plants and our trees, we, and when we think that we know better than Mother Earth, it always bites us. It always does. It, there's always going to be a ramification from it, and it's going to be a hurtful one for the planet. Um, and that's what happened in that time. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, um, Alicia. I just wanted to jump in about Anslinger. If you want to really have an understanding of what happened during that period, a great documentary or, or a movie to watch is, um, and she, I believe she just won a, an award for it, um, uh, it's called The United States versus Billie Holiday. And then mm -hmm. you'll see very prominently mm -hmm. um, the tactics used by, by Anslinger during the age of prohibition. Um, so it, I, that's something everyone, I think everyone should watch that movie. It's a great movie, great acting, um, a cinematic treasure, but it really speaks to our challenges in moving forward with, um, uh, with ending prohibition. And I, I know, I know, I'm mindful of the fact that our topic is about building a sustainable hemp company in this highly regulated market. So, when you talk about you know this highly regulated market um, that we're experiencing, it is exactly what we asked for. It's exactly what we prayed for. It's exactly what we worked for. We just didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, part of it it has to do with misconceptions about our justice system and how laws work, and we think. Once something's legal, we're all good. No, it doesn't work that way. I think, you know, again, communities of color, we know that it doesn't work that way, but I think it was an eye-opener to everyone in the hemp community as far as what this means. Um, I sometimes say more regulations, more problems. More legal, more problems. Like just, you know, just a shout-out to Jay-Z for, um, uh, you know, more money, more problems. Or is that Biggie? One of the two of them. Um, but, yeah, more money, more problems. More legal, more problems. And um, it, you have to prepare for it. You, we, we've gotten the laws changed. We've gotten the attention of uh, big money people from a variety of industries. You know, we used to be like, big farmers, bad, big farmers, this, big farmers sitting in our conferences, big tobacco sitting in our conferences right next to us. We're trying to make deals with people and, and they're holding off just until we have true federal legalization. Um, there are a number of uh, legislation, uh, le legislative acts that are sitting there that will make us more legal than we've ever been. But with that will come an increased level of very sophisticated competition um, and, and, and sophisticated laws. Um, when we look at the FDA, so that's more on the um, cannabis side, the hemp side, the uh, consumable side, um, you know, the FDA overall is being challenged as far as modernizing as far as changing the law. So they're going to have to do overhaul regardless of CBD or not. But we're going to have to ride on that wave with them. And we need to get ready. We need to understand. It's not just enough to say, hey, I understand how we manufacture cannabis. You're really going to have to think in terms of dietary supplements. Um, you're going to have to think in terms of, you know, medicinal, pharmaceutical grade of, of, of creating a profit uh, product. So, so with that said, we need to get ready. And, and that's what I, that's the message that I guess for the past, I would say a little less than a year, but I've been consistently sharing 
in a variety of ways and, and really customizing my message for the audience. But this is a message you're going to see me present over and over. It's just going to be different every time you hear, slightly different every time you hear it, depending on the audience. We need to get ready. We need to build sustainable companies. We need to make sure that we retain the market share that we have. All of our small companies, a lot of uh, hemp companies, hemp manufacturing companies, um, the ones I started with, Green Roads, um, you know, um, Sunflora, also known as your CBD store. When I met them, they were mom and pop companies. They were small companies, and and now they're very successful. Um, and you know, with that, you know, we have to figure out how do we bridge the gap in education about where we were starting. And, and based on what the laws were like in 2014, 2016, 2018, and where we're trying to go and what the laws look like now. So the ones that are doing well are the ones who successfully bridge that gap and understand, hey, I'm gonna have to get this compliance officer in-house. I'm gonna have to get this lawyer who understands FDA um, regulations in-house. You know, I'm gonna have to get an HR person in-house who understands, you know, staffing and FCRA, um, FCRA uh, compliance, which is why I got into the background screening um, area as well. Uh, in addition to my practice, I am a business development manager for Creative Services. And we have, if you go on our website, creativeservices.com under industries, cannabis, you'll see a layout of why we need to get ready and make sure that as we're doing our hiring, and cannabis is the fastest growing employer in this country. As we're doing our hiring, we need to make sure we do it in compliance because no good deed go, goes unpunished. Last thing you need is to have a willful violation for FCRA and then you lose the house that way when we're trying to safeguard about losing the house by having a bad certificate of analysis. It's way beyond that now. We are a real grown-up business and we need to act like it. We have a question that's come in from Donovan. Uh, the question is, isn't mixing cannabis and the industrial properties of hemp counterintuitive. One is about creating a product, another about altering a mental state. Mixing them together does more harm than good. Yeah, I'd love to reply to that. I think the first thing I'll say is, it's not man who mixed them together. It's, it's the almighty source, it's God, it's just. They came in a single plant. So it's not like we took two different things from different parts of the earth and we mixed them together. We got a plant which was a gift from God. And then we, as we matured as a society, as we evolved, we figured out all the things that you can do with it. Very similarly to, you know, seeing carrot puffs in the grocery store. You know, we got carrots. We now we know we, we, we evolved. We know we can make juice from it. We know that we can make rabbit food out of it. We know that we can make puffed, um, puffed crunchies out of it. You know, it, it's not us that's really mixing things in a counterintuitive way. It is us having the you know, hubris to think that, um, you know, we, any use of something that is a gift is wrong. It's really just understanding how it needs to happen. And again, they are, they've always been the same plant, which is why they're under the same genus and species. It's, it's the same plant. Yeah, for me, it's counterintuitive to say, oh, we're going to tweak this. The only way it's acknowledged yeah. as uh, as a hemp plant is as if it is under 0.3% of THC. Yeah. You know, that makes a huge difference, right? Um, and to me, that is what's counter 
counterproductive and counter, yeah. counterintuitive. You know, leave it in the beauty and the perfection that it was given. The one, once we start messing around with mother nature and thinking we know best, that is when we cause issues. That's yeah, when we cause issues. And it, it's true. And, and again, just not like um, medicine has evolved. So like, you know, the ability to do uh, laparoscopic surgery didn't exist centuries ago. And we're so grateful for the innovation. So I want to, I want to be clear that when I, when I talk about, you know, the plant and that we were given a plant, it's not to negate the importance of, you know, evolution of man and, and uh, innovation and technology and, and, you know, getting it to a, a, another form. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's always a surprise to legislators and that we're like, surprise, we can do this. And they're like, let me see if it'll hurt anyone. You know, that's their first thought. Let me see if it'll hurt anyone. So, you know, legally and, and from a lobbying perspective, we've always had to make those distinctions. We were um, the victims and the culprits because we went to legislators and we, this is so, this is, these are different things. Hemp is completely different from marijuana. Why? Because we wanted it to be legal. And, um, you know, and we believed it too, because again, we didn't do that groundwork. We didn't go to Europe. We just watched YouTube and we regurgitated what we heard at conferences. Um, so, you know, we believe what we were saying to these legislators, but at the end of the day, it's the same darn plant. Um, and we are very fortunate because it's one of those most versatile plants, similar to bamboo. So I want you to really think about it. Um, the things that we're doing with, with, with cannabis are very similar to things we do to bamboo. We can eat bamboo. We can build shelter with it. We can build flooring. We can do all those things. So we celebrate the fact that this plant gives us shelter, um, gives us clothing, um, gives us medicine, gives us food. Um, we, do, we, we do not villainize any of these uses that come from the intelligence of man as well as innovation and technology. That's not what our position is. We do need to make sure that we're not doing any harm. I do not think that, you know, because something's in the uh, area of consumables that it's necessarily doing harm. But I do think that, you know, we need to understand as we innovate, if there's potential for harm and that we have agent government agencies who are responsible for that. And the industry has always been a huge supporter for government learning more so that we cannot harm people. We've always we have always been the, the the community, even in the illicit times, the community that is safeguarding children. We were self-regulated for decades. We were self-regulated. We called out our own bad actors. We got rid of our own bad bad actors as a uh, as an industry before the government would even you know, look at the education and look at the information and look at the research. They just wouldn't look. But we had to self-regulate and make sure there wasn't a sick kid here and a sick kid there um, from, from misuse of the product. Now we have the support of government. Now we have the support of universities. And we are very happy with that because our intention is to heal and help and, and, and provide shelter. Our intention was never to um, create harm. And I think, you know, with with you know, there's so many other phytomedicines that if it's used inappropriately can be toxic. And there, there are things that are approved by the FDA that when they're used inappropriately, they can be fatal or toxic. So, you know, I don't know why we have this um, high um, 
benchmark for cannabis where uh, it needs to be, uh, you know, it, we need to be convinced that there's no way that it can be misused. I mean, we don't use that measuring stick with alcohol. We don't use that measuring stick with pharmaceuticals. Um, we don't even use that, far, that measuring stick with, uh, with, with textiles and, and, and allergies and food allergies and things like that. We don't even look at it the same way. You know, have, you know, we see what we do for peanut allergies, but, you know, how many years were we giving out peanuts on the plane in packets? We didn't know any better. Right. There's, there's so many misperceptions, <laughs> right? There's so many misperceptions about this. Yeah. And, and as you said, learnings that come over time. Um, <clears throat> what, what I would love to hear from you, you know, maybe some of the big benefits of using hemp. Um for building and that kind of thing. And then, and then also, um, Alicia, maybe you have some more questions for Cheryl around, um, you know, around building the company or whatever other aspects that we need to hear from her while we still have Cheryl here. Yeah. So, um, well, to talk about some of the benefits of, of using hemp, like you were talking about bamboo, it's a wonderful, wonderful plant. It's wonderful medicine, right? Bamboo as like hemp, it is a great remediator. It's a soil remediator. It, it sequests carbon. It does it four to five times greater than trees. So there are some real um, big perks to using it in, uh, in an industrial way for building. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Cheryl, do you want to talk a little bit about working with the plant within yeah. within the industrial world first and then we can talk about yeah, definitely definitely there's so many benefits of the plant as we talked about there are a lot of uses for it and all of those uses need to be explored further um you know uh, you know i don't believe in a hierarchy of uses of hemp i don't believe that the fiber uses are superior to the cannabinoid uses we time will tell what regulations we need to put in place to restrict harm when we're building homes with, with hemp and using binding materials where there aren't any standards to what binders, um, using binding materials that work in uh, you know Oklahoma, um, in Colorado and using it in Florida, is that going to sustain with um, different um, uh, heat, um, you know, different climates? Um, you know, are the materials used for the binding, are, are those things high? Um, uh, regulated or are, are they harmful? So there's so we're excited. I don't want anything I say to take away from anyone's enthusiasm or excitement, but please don't believe that any use of the hemp plant is superior than any other use of the hemp plants. They are all a gift. They all need further exploration and, and good on us for being champions for this very sustainable um, plant. Um, that can that can do so so much in our environments. Um, benefits, it you know, it, it's a cleaner process. It's it's cleaner than a lot of things that we've been using. It is um, it's disruptive. It's very disruptive. Um, we've talked about carbon sequestering. That's a huge benefit um, for humankind being in existence uh, longer. Uh, that we're you know even the USDA is starting to investigate that. But keep in mind the USDA is also investigating alternative proteins like using insects as food. Um, so you know we are changing. Uh, what well, a lot of people are coming along uh, kicking and screaming, but fortunately there's this renewed interest in the hemp plant. Fortunately the experts are 
um, generously sharing their knowledge um, and their expertise. Um, fortunately, the world is smaller, so we can learn from people who have found that sweet spot um, from different parts of the globe. Um, fortunately, there are records of the thousands of years of hemp usage that we can learn from today. Um, so I think that's what positions us to be um, very successful. I think, um, you know, Alicia spoke to biodiversity. That's very important to me. Um, we we want to make sure that we continue with biodiversity and it doesn't become where it's restricted to you know, certain people based on intellectual property as far as use of something that's so clearly helpful to all, all mankind. Um, you know, so that's how I look at the benefits of hemp. Um, it is beneficial. It has thousands and thousands of uses, um, some that we don't yet understand. Um, it is, uh, it makes people, you, you notice, one thing I want to say is when you introduce cannabis into a community and a part of society, they become healthier, they become healthier thinking, greener thinking, more into um, waste reduction, their, their conversation changes. They talk about, they eat healthier. It's just amazing to see like people who join our industry and over time, how they start being thinking about sustainable practices, regenerative practices, people who never thought about farming a day in their life, never farmed, their father never farmed, their mother never farmed, grandparents never farmed, now wanna think about farming and, and replenishing the earth. So it, it has this contagious thing about it um, that I haven't seen in other um, natural plants where once people involve it in their life, if there's one more unity um, if when people come together with good intentions and then people have a cleaner way of living when it comes to how they eat and what they put into their body and also their desire to preserve the earth and um, and contribute to the earth. And I there's this is not based on scientific research. This is based on me being in the industry for six years, meeting people when they first started and then hearing them talk a year, two years, three years later, and they're eating differently. Me, myself, when I got in this industry, I was eating, you know, nothing against pork because I love my, my, my pork farmer, my pig farmers and things like that. But I was eating pork, I was eating chicken, I was eating fast food, I was eating. And now I'm like, you know, vegetarian, occasion, occasional fish, you know, that's where I am. I, I think, yeah, you're raising your awareness about everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I work with a nonprofit yeah. in um, Panama called Geoversity, and they build they build with bamboo a lot. And I'm looking forward to learning how bamboo and hemp can be used together. I and, love it. And how that's going to work. We do have um, a few questions. We have about five more minutes here, and I want everyone, the audience, to know. Uh, please pop your questions in. We'd love to see any additional questions. And um, right now, there's a couple here for you. Uh, what are the biggest opportunities in the industry today? That's a question from the audience. Yeah, I think some of the biggest opportunities in the industry today have to do with the research and innovation part. And I still, I mean, don't knock the ancillary, man. The, you know, still, you know, it's not just the packaging, but it's like every single thing, like marketing companies, HR companies. I'm doing background screening specifically for cannabis, like really looking at that ancillary and tweaking it for I think for me, the biggest opportunity is the anticipation of what's coming next. And that's how I've always guided my practice and all my other businesses has been like, hey, you know, we're having cannabis conversation. I, I said, I'm a cannabis. Now I'm an agricultural attorney, too, because I learned and educated myself on, you know what? 
farmers are going to need to be educated on this. I want to be in that space. I want to be one of the first ones there. And I want to um, bring my knowledge into that area so that when the rest of the industry catches up and says, hey, this is an agricultural thing and the USDA is again eventually going to wake up to it, I'm standing there already. Same with dietary supplement. I, last year, I added that to my practice because I was like, hey, CBD, they're, they're, we're already drafting stuff to turn it into a dietary supplement, but we don't know anything about registering FDA food facilities. We don't know anything about that stuff. I want to be the lawyer, especially lawyer for communities of color and, and, and minority and small businesses who, who I want to be that lawyer who knows about it so they can ask me and I can help them stay alive when these laws come in place. So I think the biggest opportunity is really being that anticipator for what these regulations and legislation, what this means to the industry and the, the stakeholders and how do we keep the people who are currently in, how do we keep them in? And I would say that, that you know, the timing is so important. The timing is now and in the immediate future because things are gonna evolve and unfold and then it will be, the, the window will be closed for many things, right? Mm -hmm. um, another question for you where can we find reputable hemp fabrics yeah that's a good question um there's there's not as much activity on the textile side for a number of reasons i'll quickly give one is like you know china's got it locked down um you know they they're textile experts they always have been it's part of the culture um they've been growing hectares and hectares of hemp for fabrics for a long time um and they can do it cheaper than most places not to discourage people but as far as the question, where can we find hemp fabrics? I actually um, am selling a hemp line called Hemp Mama. Um, through It is through uh, multi-level marketing, but you, I only sell the hemp um, clothing part. So if you go to my site, um, which is canactivist.life, um, so canactivist.life, you can see the selection that I have available as far as hemp clothing for women and men, t-shirts and jumpers and things like that so that's one source that um i believe is reputable and then um when it comes to fabrics themselves for you to create your own end products you know i say like for me i have to see it feel it um before i'll i'll vet it the thing about hemp fabrics is even if you get it from the same supplier you know it seems like it varies like they'll have a certain amount of a thing and then next time you go to them they're getting it from somewhere else and it's completely different so I think the best thing advice I would give is, um, you know, go to the she conference. Like I'll be there. Alicia is going to be there. Um, it is, I think it's September 2nd to the 4th in Raleigh, North Carolina. There will be vendors who are experts in that area and you'll see what they currently have and you can assess what they currently have and have that conversation and then determine what you want to buy in order to create the, you know, the end product that you're looking to make. Also, that question, I would need more detail because it's a hemp fabrics for what? Is it something that's more of a silky blend? Is it something, that, you know, because each vendor may specialize in a certain type of fabric. Something's more canvassy. You know, it's just like hemp paper. Same thing. You can have cardstock hemp paper. You can have like, you know, uh, turn the pages uh, hemp paper, um, constitution writing hemp paper. So it's I, I would need to know more, but I know. I have, I have a lot of confidence that at the SHE conference, you can actually um, see a booth or two dedicated to that, ask the, the questions, they can ask you the questions as far as what you're trying to source, and then um, you'll, you'll, you'll have a better um, experience than me naming a vendor, not knowing what type of fabric you're trying to buy. 
Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I remember 22 years ago when I was trekking in Nepal, I had a water bottle holder, crossbody water bottle holder made of hemp. It was like a weave. It was the coolest yeah. thing I ever. I absolutely loved it. I took it everywhere with me. Um, and just, I just want to clarify, canactivist.life was your website? You yeah, canactivist.life will take you straight to Hemp Mamas where you can see what our selection is of hemp clothing. I, you know, I've always been passionate about hemp clothing. I haven't been able to source it um, either, um, but I, I think they have some fun things on there that they have like leggings and workout. It's mostly leisure wear. Like I ordered stuff. I can't wait till it comes in. So I will be like taking pictures, putting it on my social media so people can see what it looks like. Because um, I know sometimes we buy things online and then when we get it, it's like, that's not what the picture, like that's happened to me so many times where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so pretty. And then I put it on, I'm like, oh my God, this fabric doesn't feel well, it's cheap, you know, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, canactivist.life is um, where I sell hemp clothing um, for women and there are a few pieces for men and they're gonna expand the SKUs. Um, so I'm pretty excited about, about that aspect. Yeah, I've always been that person in the hemp industry and the cannabis industry where I have multiple businesses that I've started just based on my passion. I did can of headhunters, SMP staffing, just because I saw the staffing need. I, I, you know, I have my law firm and I always have multiple businesses going on because again, I think uh, hemp is going to sustain me just like it's a sustainable plant. Well, you're completely inspiring me. You really are, Carol. I can't thank you enough. Um, thank you so much. It's been, it's been a joy. Yeah, Alicia, do you want to add any final words and maybe give us a quick update on what else is happening with Harmony Voices? Well, one of the one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed working with hemp is, uh, particularly within indigenous communities, a lot of the lands that people are on, whether it's their backyard or they have multiple acres, they are on toxic lands, and this mm. plant is helping to really heal and repair the soils, which means that people, after a couple of grows, grow cycles, then they can actually plant other foods and veg, you know, vegetables, fruits, those kind of things, because they've now done some repair for their soils. Um, and that happens quite often within indigenous communities, especially in this country. Um, so I just wanted, I wanted to, to put that out there as That's well. fantastic. It's regenerative. It's regenerative of the soil. We need that so desperately. In so yeah. Yeah. And it also speaks to the fact that you don't have to be a large farmer or something like that going into big business. You can just want, I want to be able to grow something healthy in the three by three size plot that I have in my backyard for my family. And, uh, you know, I'm in an area that has been polluted because of, uh, of maybe the refineries in my neighborhood, whatever it might be, you have the ability as that small individual to utilize this plant and help your own backyard, your family, and then community and environment. You know, you, we all get to do our part with this. It doesn't have to be some elaborate production. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I'm looking here to, to see if there were any other questions that came up and maybe Aisla. Yeah, well, while you do that, I just want to say that usually, you know, for this talk, I talk about the four P's and um, I'm, I'm just going to touch briefly on them this time. And we can always have a part two or, you know, I, I am going to speak about it at, uh, you know, Southern Hemp Expo. And I have a few upcoming speaking dates where I will, um, 
be expanding on this topic, building a sustainable, whether it's hemp company or cannabis company in a highly regulated market. But I do a deep dive on my four P's, um, which are similar to marketing four P's. But, you know, the first P is your people, making sure that you're getting the right people in. You know, we're usually adverse to background checks in our industry, but at the point where we're at, we can't afford for like willful violation issues to take down our companies. So, you know, I talk about background screening, but I also talk about empowering your people and empowering them to make the right choices, um, making them feel valued, um, you know, hiring based on the skill set, not just saying it's easier for me to hire my cousin or whoever, but really getting people who are fit for the particular roles you need them with who want hunger for advancement because as if they're hungry for advancement then as the company grows then you'll be able to move them up and they'll have more money more responsibility and more knowledge um so people your policies need to be right and tight if you're on the consumable sides your gmp certification even down to your co-packers make sure they're registered as an fda um, food facility and uh, or or qualified facility if they're a smaller one so research what that means and what that means for our industry. Um, you know, purity, that's, you know, that's really where we tend to be a little bit more sensitive is, you know, making sure our labels match what's in the, bo in the bottles, um, you know, ensuring that we have a certificate of analysis that's accurate. And we can talk more about that next time. And then profits, really making decisions, not just based on our profits. And we're all guilty of this, like, um, you know, being, we're activists, we're an activist community. And we just do things because we like it. We we travel wherever we need to because we like it. We really don't do the scrutiny as far as what's going to be the return on investment for this trip. What's going to be the return on the investment for this relationship? What's going to be the return? We, we haven't gotten to the point where we're doing that type of analysis really well and focusing on profitability, not to the detriment of the plant and not to the detriment of purity and not from the debt to to the detriment of, of changing who we are as an industry, but in order to make sure that we are very much fortified, fortified for this next era where we're gonna see larger industries come into our area um, and we wanna stay around, we wanna be able to stick around or else it's gonna be the same thing that we saw with the Anslinger um, uh, that we always talk about. Yeah, you, you know, we definitely have to put people and planet before profit. And profit comes when we do that. You know, it always does. And yes. it, there'll be enough to go around. And we don't need to be greedy about it by any means. Uh, but people and planet always before profit. That's for sure. Um, we just got a little notation here from Harmony. And she says, thank you for all the wonderful work you do. And so she just wanted to put that out there, Cheryl. Beautiful. Thank you, Harmony, for taking the time to watch us, not counting it as robbery to spend your time with us today. Thank you so much to everyone in the audience. Yeah. And you can continue the conversation. My email address will be on the screen shortly, smpesquire.outlook.com. Great. Thank you so much to both of you. Any last comments before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you. Um, and thank you. We had a number of people writing in today, so I want to thank you for joining us and remind you that this is something that you can watch on all of our social media, whether it's on our website, on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. So you'll be able to go back to this video and, and check it out again. Yeah, and there was a, brief, a little typo on my email address. The Q is missing, so it's SMP Esquire um, mm -hmm. at Outlook.com. I missed that earlier. So. Okay. Um, 
forgive me, but uh, it's smpesquire.com. Love to hear from, from you guys. And um, there's plenty of YouTube videos of my other talks. So just go on YouTube and put in Cheryl Murray Powell and, and a whole bunch of great videos will pop up for you if you're looking to educate. And as you are so moved, please do know that Her Many Voices is a nonprofit that is well deserving of your donations. Um, the, the tag is coming across now, uh, the short link. So please, please, if you're moved, it's absolutely worth it. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder, Myrna. We greatly appreciate it. And, um, you know, stay in touch with us out there because we are moving forward with certain projects. We're working on uh, a particular climate strong initiative in the Denver area. Um, so more will be revealed over time with that. And um, I, I'm grateful I get to partner up with Cheryl in some aspects of what we're doing. Same. Um, yeah. Super excited about what's next, especially with um, her many voices and I'm, I'm glad to, to be a partner. So I look forward to it. Um, continue to watch these Lunch and Learns. Um, very great information. I hope some of my audience is now part of your audience. So um, we'll keep this education going. Yes, Thank and I believe our next Lunch and Learn, we have to, I got to double check on this, but I, I believe we're going to have uh, architect uh, Bob Escher that will be joining us. And Bob has been working out of Vermont for 30 some years, but he is also a hemp architect too. Uh, he designed the first permitted hemp structure in, in the Colorado area in Denver. Um, so that'd be great. We look forward to it. Yeah. yeah. All right, ladies. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. very much. Thanks to everyone who joined us. Thank you. Thank you. Many blessings. Thank you.